0: Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today in a very deserted Westminster as once again, we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner, and today I'm joined by Jay Sahota. Jay is a senior partner and also the Head of Dispute Resolution at Jarman Solicitors in Kent, a full-service law firm providing legal advice to individuals, organisations and businesses. Uh, Jay, welcome. Great to have you with us on the programme today.
1: Hello, Scott, how are you? in these weird
0: times? Very strange times indeed, absolutely. And um, interestingly enough, we do hear every day um, at 5pm, Jay, that the Prime Minister or another Cabinet Minister is announcing, ex- essentially, updates and further support for businesses. But at the same yeah. time, while that's happening, the measures are also preventing a great deal of businesses from performing their functions. Um, how has it been for you as a business leader personally responding to this situation so far? It must have been a very interesting few weeks for you.
1: It was really bizarre, actually, because I, I don't think we quite saw it coming. So we saw it as some distant problem in China originally. Um, and maybe because we weren't planned well enough or we didn't see it quite coming in the, in the manner that it did. Um, but I remember it was, it was very stark because we had, God, it seems like three years ago now. It was only a couple of weeks ago when the prime minister made the announcement almost exactly two weeks ago now on that Monday night. Um, and it was really odd because that Monday was one of the busiest days we've ever had in terms of the number of new inquiries coming in. So the phones were manic. Um, and as soon as that announcement was made on that Monday night, it's almost as though the tap had been turned off on the Tuesday. So on Tuesday uh, morning, the phones were dead. And that was obviously the initial reaction to what was going on. I mean, it's picked up quite significantly since then. But I think people are getting used to that new way of working um, and, and things will, will will be fine in the end. But it was really strange because we are not, as lawyers, I think many other lawyers out there will emphasize and sympathize what I'm saying. We're not particularly well set up for remote working in the regions. Mm-hmm. Um and that I know that sounds a bit weird. I mean the London firms tend to be a bit a bit, bit bit better equipped in terms of having all their systems in place, remote working, everything working in the cloud, et cetera um I've never been particularly technological as my staff will tell you, um, so it was a, a lot of grappling around on that Tuesday literally that after the announcement was made on the Monday, we came into um, work on the Tuesday morning. I had arranged a big firm meeting, so I got all the staff together. We do these te- um, firm meetings really just keep in in touch with what each other is doing um. So I called a meeting on that Tuesday morning. We had a big discussion, and it wasn't me standing there preaching and saying, right, we're going to do this because I I know better. Actually, I was saying, look, how do we do it? These are my thoughts on how we do it. Do you agree? Um, And this is how we will now start to work remotely. So it was adapting and changing very quickly to the circumstances. Um, And um, now most of my staff are working remotely. There's a core um, team of hard nuts, if you like, coming into the office, four or five of us every day, um, observing social distancing, of course, and being very careful. Um, just to keep mm. you know the, the wheels the mechanical wheels running and the rest of the staff are working from what I can tell beautifully at home and they're doing a really good job and they do me proud because they're a wonderful team
0: it's really good to, uh, to hear that they've been able to sort of take on that form of leadership themselves be self-motivated and continue to crack on even when they've been working from home um, mm. can you think of a time earlier in your career Jay when you've had to take di- decisions as similarly difficult as this or is this just essentially um, completely out of the blue for you?
1: It's not, actually. I mean, I've actually had some fairly good training in the sense that I took over the firm in July 2017, um, and it was a very different firm um, then. I'm not saying there was anything wrong with the firm, but it was a very different regional firm um, doing a lot of regional work, and I wanted to make it a different type of firm. I wanted to inject... A lot of the London experience and that city experience that I had in my blood, um, I've, I've been a litigator for 17 years now. I did for a lot of big companies over the years. Um, and I wanted to bring a flavor of that to the regions um, and to Kent and to do more of that type of work. So more of the litigation work, the corporate work, some of the higher end, quirky property work, high net worth, etc. And to mm-hmm. do that, I had to implement a lot of changes at the firm when I took over. Um, so there have been real trying and testing times actually I mean the first one was almost as soon as I took over I had to stand up and give a speech to the staff and say look I've come in now to run the firm not saying there was anything wrong with the way it was being run before but this is how I'm going to run the firm if you don't like it you're going to have to lump it pretty much and quite a few of them left because of that speech um but I I don't regret that because they weren't right for the firm and the firm wasn't right for them in terms of the new vision that I was bringing to the firm um, And actually most of the staff that I've I've taken on and cultivated since then are now with me and they're, they're under my vision and I can bring them up in my way, as it were, to help contribute to the good of the firm. So that was a difficult time because I knew that not all the staff would be with me, but it was something that had to be done. Um, And those staff who remained with me and have been loyal have been absolutely fantastic. Um, And then I had to do something similar probably about a year ago now where I had to um, downsize two departments. Again, not an easy decision at all, but I really took apart the figures and looked at the figures and and looked at the departments that were making money and which weren't. And again, I had a big team meeting. Again, we have these meetings fairly regularly, so it wasn't completely out of the blue. I had a big firm meeting and said, look, two of these departments are going to be downsized and a few of you you are going to have to leave. So that was really hard. I mean, that was heart-wrenching because I liked a lot of those people, but I had to do it for the good of the firm and therefore for the good of the staff. And that's what I always make clear to the staff. If I do something, I'm not doing it for my own good. I'm not doing it because I want to be a millionaire. I, I don't think I ever will be a millionaire. I'm doing it because I care about my staff. I care about my clients and I want my firm to be the best firm there is um, and to contribute to the development of my staff. So that's why I make these hard decisions, not for myself. It sounds a bit altruistic, maybe it is, but it's the truth. Um, So that was a very trying, testing time. And then um, you have times as you go along as a leader, don't you? I mean, I always say Mm. to myself, I I like to nurture staff um, as a leader. And being a good leader for me isn't standing up there and preaching from on high and saying, this is how I expect you to do it. It's collaborative it's giving staff the framework within which they can be the best that they possibly can be. Um, I have three values here at Jarmans. They're honest. I, I say to them, there are three H's, three H's. Um, I need you to be honest, humble, and hungry. So within that framework of them knowing what I expect from them, um, they know that they can be flexible and we challenge each other. Um, and they do know that they're the line. If they cross that line, they wouldn't be very happy about it. But within that framework, I encourage them, develop them, teach them to be the best that they possibly can be. Um, And to answer your question, the third limb of it is that I had um, a scenario probably about a year ago now where I'd really trained up certain members of staff within this framework to be the best that they could be. And you're going to get situations where people then fly the nest and go and set up um, another entity which um, you know competes with your firm or whatever basically but mm. that happens I mean I, I I look at it now and I think do you know what maybe that was for the best and actually that's part of business and it makes you a better business as a result of it because you know that you're moving forward it's actually good to have a bit of competition at least you've done the best that you can do for those staff by making them the better they can be and these things happen that so you accept it but hard hard lessons along the way.
0: It certainly seems it, and um, it certainly seems like it's been a huge challenge as well, uh, just overhauling the culture um, of a business. And based on that experience, Joe, what I'm interested to know is um, if you were to give advice to somebody who was about to start their first day in a leadership role, what advice would mm. that be?
1: That's really interesting, actually. I, I would say the most important thing is to listen to your staff. It, it harks back to my comment that you don't stand there and preach and say, This is what I'm going to do. Never come to anything with assumptions, with rigid assumptions, because sometimes people will surprise you. Um, And what I mean by that is I've been surprised by this situation now with COVID, people working at home. I've really tapped into, I I hope, um, which staff like email as a means of communication, which like uh, being called instead, enjoying working from home and you know those of whom who aren't and then you try and adapt yourself to those particular nuances and those ways of working so never come to it with any um, assumptions um always try and I mean, you have all these um trite things about trying to be a friend to your staff etc i do agree with that actually um it's not about fixed rigid principles and saying to your staff this is how things are going to be it's the framework i mentioned earlier which is that you're collaboratively encouraging the staff to be the best that they can be. Don't assume that things are going to be a particular way. Be prepared to be challenged. I think that's probably the most important thing, be prepared to be challenged, um, because then you're not um, looking at it from a rigid set of principles where if somebody comes to you and offers a counter view, you're going to be completely astonished by it. Be prepared to be challenged, because often your staff will give you better ideas than you have yourself. So surround yourself with mm-hmm. really good people. Um, and one mistake I mean, I've made, hundreds of mistakes since taking over the business and I'm very honest and open about that and with, without mistakes to some extent you can't succeed um, but one thing I do say is that um, we, we, again within that framework be prepared to be challenged um, and don't, uh, don't assume that you're right um, but also sit there and ask your staff what they think about um, different um, ideas and notions and principles and they will surprise you because they're very, very bright surround yourself with good people um, and don't assume that you, you know everything because you don't um, and my staff, I mean, that's why I've got such a fantastic team out here. They're absolutely brilliant. Um, and um, I, I really couldn't do without them. They're, they're amazing. They really are amazing. Mm.
0: It's very much sound advice when you talk about this um, idea of the team, because for a leader, it's so important to note that it's not just about them as an individual. It's not a one man or one woman operation. It's very much about the people around them just as much as it is about them. And having that culture in place where they can then flourish is also of a huge importance. Um, Interestingly, um, you also mentioned uh, there, Jay, that you had made mistakes through your career. Um, Do you think that great leaders are essentially born with certain qualities or is it something that is very much a learning curve and very much something that you develop throughout your career? Because leaders are going to come in and they're not going to get every decision right, are they? They are going to make mistakes.
1: No, I think I think part of the curve is is learning to make mistakes, learning from your mistakes, rather than, um, you know, licking your things and licking your wounds or getting your little violin out. Uh, you've got to learn from what's happened to you. And it, you're right; it's a combination. It's it is intuitively having that drive to be the best that you can be, and therefore making the staff the, the best that they can be, and also that willingness and urge to help other people. Um, I mean in business i 've always said that I like to connect people with other people to get it, get other people' business to help them within their own business and to nurture people and improve their own lives, et cetera and that 's a really important part of leadership um, so to answer your question, one you do need that that drive that ambition um the goal setting the planning um you know that strategic thought and leadership that 's very very important. Mm. But the other part of it is a bit more nuanced and holistic and comes with time, whereby you're making the mistakes, you're taking people with you, um, you're listening to the advice of others. I think people forget that's a really important element of leadership. It's two-way. Leadership isn't just about, as I said, it's not sitting there and saying, this is right. It's listening to others. So it's always a two-way channel. Um, And I'll give you an example of that, my boss when I was at Pittman's, which is a law firm in in Reading, a really good law firm, um, Sue O'Brien, who I still credit um, amazingly with um, um, a lot of my success, if you can call it success, um, she said to me about 10 years ago, now, Jay, you're never going to be happy until you're running your own firm. And I wasn't quite sure what she meant at the time. Now I know, obviously, because she knew me better than I knew myself to some extent. So she had tapped into intuitively what turned me on, for want of a better phrase. She knew that, yes, I love being a litigation lawyer and I like being commercial, but also I had a business mind. I wanted to run a firm and improve a firm and do things with it and take it forward, et cetera, and liked managing teams. I was good with people, et cetera. She saw that in me. So that element of being able to see within others their own strength and then bring them out is really really important but your staff should be doing that to you at the same time so I, I always say to myself please tell me if I've done something wrong then I will try and um, amend it next time or let me know if this is the right idea it might not be because then let's still sit down and talk about it let's challenge each other you're trying to improve them but at the same time they are trying to improve you so it's a holistic organic process which grows over time it's really important
0: Mm, for sure. And um, you always imagined uh, then uh, back in your career that you'd end up in a position of leadership yourself then, Jay, based upon what you've just told me as well.
1: Um, not not in the very early days. I wanted to be a magician, actually, because I used to do close-up magic. So mm, <laughs> in the very early days, I either a magician or a, a meteorologist, I wanted to be. So quite exciting, really. Um, so early in the early days, I didn't actually. It was my aunt, one of my aunts, um, who said to me, and again, I'm very grateful to my aunts for, for leadership, um, their own leadership, that's another example, because they imbued in me really this desire to do well and also my wife who's been an amazing leader to me um you know I, it sounds a bit cheesy but i have amazing leaders in my life my god you know I, I have great faith my god is my leader my wife is my leader to me she inspires me every day um my children you know give me nourishment so they're my leaders too but i look up to my family I look up to my aunts one of whom in particular said to me um you should be a lawyer because you're articulate, you know, you like analysing facts and evidence, and I think you'd be very good at putting forward um, different arguments and different scenarios. And again, at the time, I I parked the thought and didn't really know what she was talking about, but perhaps it was um, um, uh, a case in point to some extent, and it it becomes a... um, uh, something that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But after that, I did then start to develop the skills to become a lawyer. And I think I, I did then realize that I wanted some form of leadership position because I was one of the full captains of school captains at school, did various things at university, chairs of various committees, etc. And then I, I realized that I, I did want to lead because, again, for me, it's not the egotistical side of leading. It is wanting to help and improve others. Um, and I, I, I'm really turned on by it. I mean, I had a really nice email from a client this morning um one of my um cn and me given a piece of work by me from one of my referrers and he sent an email saying um, um tom is doing a really good job on this piece of work and i was i was i got a bit emotional by it actually And you know, it sounds a bit cheesy got emotional thought do you know what I, this is why i do it because i like really good feedback about my staff and i like my staff to you know they're doing a really good job and that makes the whole thing go round basically
0: Absolutely. I think it's so important to uh, to credit your stuff and um, especially and let them know when they're doing well. And again, that ties mm-hmm. into uh, the culture. But also, Jay, it's yeah. a very interesting uh, career journey that you've been on as well. Um, I am conscious of running out of time. But before we do go about wrapping things up, uh, Jay, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next year is going to hold for yourself and for Jarman's, and what you hope to achieve collectively in that time, especially beyond the COVID-19 outbreak as well.
1: Thank you. It's an interesting question. It's going to be a, an odd time. I don't think anybody really knows, but we're planning for the future already. Um, as I mentioned right at the outset, um, a lot of what we do is property work. So the residential commencing property work has almost dried up effectively, but nobody is allowed to move or lend. So it's, it's a very odd time. Luckily, touch wood, I've insulated the firm by engaging lots of different types of work. I mentioned at the outset, we're doing a lot of litigation and corporate work, some of which have got a lot busier, actually. So litigation work is very busy because everybody's arguing about. Um, excuse me, trying to get money out of various different ventures and protecting their positions and looking at liability and risk, et cetera. So we're planning for the future. And again, that's uh, another important element of leadership. I've sat down and thought, right, what do we need to do differently to make sure that we... Sharpen the saw. I mean, that's a a phrase that we hear um, lots of business coaches use, which is that use this time to plan for how you're going to come out the other side. So we're strategically planning. Um, It's not going to be an easy time, um, but um, I'm planning now every day to make sure that we come out even stronger at the other side where we're keeping our doors very much open, albeit virtually. Um, which, which again, I note a lot of a lot of lo- local law firms aren't necessarily doing. They've inverted commas shut up shop to some extent. So we're keeping uh, keeping going. We're adapting to different ways of working. So we're doing wills by video link, for example. Um, so we're looking at different nuances and ways that we can keep going now, um, but also planning for when we come out the other side because certain areas will get very busy. For example, family law employment is already very busy. Litigation, I mentioned, the corporate work will get very busy again, as will the property um, side of things. Um, so we're planning for steps that we need to put in place to make sure that we're stronger and able to deal with that work when we come out the other side, um, all the while making sure that we're keeping the laws turning and planning um, to make sure that we're insulated for the future. But it's not it's not an easy time. It's not going to be an easy time. I feel for all of the business owners out, out there, especially those who've been directly impacted and the other law firms. But um, again, part of that is, I mentioned collaboration, I speak regularly to a lot of the other senior partners of the other law firms in Kent and beyond to share ideas and knowledge to plan for how we can do it together. And those who see it as competition might not want to have a chat. But actually, I say to them, look, we're not in competition, let's talk about how we can share knowledge. And that's really helped because we all... Um, share ideas and thoughts for how we plan for the future. So we're we're hunkering down to some extent, keeping going, um, doing as well as we possibly can, and planning for the future. It's not going to be an easy time, but I'm hoping that by autumn this will all be behind us and we will have moved on. And I I, I give my best thoughts and um, hope to everybody that we'll come out the other side. And I think the Queen's message um, yesterday really helped with that. Actually, I think that's given us some some more resilience.
0: Certainly uh, so, uh, the Queen's message, and um, it did again sort of capture that national spirit that's come out of this, this idea Mm. of uh, unity and that there will be opportunities for business on the other side of this. And let's hope that business is in a position to really hit the ground running on that and we can start seeing that upward trajectory again sooner rather than later. Um, Jay, I have to say... Um, it has been an absolute pleasure and really insightful having you on the uh, the programme today. And I think it would be fantastic to have you back on in a few months' time to look at this retrospectively and see how those hopes have been borne out. And thank you so much for your time coming on the programme to speak with me today.
1: Not sure. It's been a real pleasure and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you very much, Scott.
0: Likewise, Jay. Coming up next on the programme, we hand over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England cricket legend, Sir Andrew Strauss. Um, I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Sir Andrew. That will be coming up now.
2: Hello and welcome. I'm Jonathan White and today we are joined by Sir Andrew Strauss, former captain of the England cricket team and former director of cricket at the ECB. Sir Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today. have you finally forgiven Marcus Dresscothic for giving you that stupid Lord Brockett nickname?
3: <laughs> um, well, m- my recollection was that it wasn't Marcus Dresscothic who gave me that nickname. Oh. It was actually Mark Butcher. Uh, He's but to blame. You know, I think there were a lot of people. It was the senior England teams at the mo- mm. at that time who wanted to sort of put me in my place We won the Ashes, but also the day after, you know, that open top bus parade around London and to understand that we'd broken out of the cricket bubble, that, that just general sports fans or just people that were interested in in seeing England win at something were all engaged and uh, completely besotted by the whole thing. I think that's
2: such a key point, now because there's, there's so there were so many people back in two thousand five that may have not even given cricket a second glance.
3: biggest sort of poison chalice of all time and that you know the <laughs> yes. sort of a litany of england captains had sort of been churned up by the job prior to me taking over so th- there was that sort of realization this is going to be a tough thing to do um and you're gonna have to dig pretty deep but i think actually the most important thing was sort of just pushing all that noise to one side and just clarifying okay if i'm going to do this job